The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Appreciate that good prayer and uh, thankful for the public prayers that have prayed, but I'm just as thankful or even more thankful for the private, silent prayers that I trust that you're continuing to send up on my behalf this morning. As, as I've already stated, it's such a blessing to be here and to be part of uh, this worship service. Truly, that's what it is. It's a time to worship the Lord. You know, we're not up here to put on a show or to uh, show each other how good we look or how great our, our latest fashions are. It's about, it's about worshiping a thrice holy God who is pleased with when his people come together and do that. But, you know, sometimes we have this idea, and I've said this before here, heard it preached on by my brother sometimes, and, you know, that somebody says, well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to see the preacher perform. I'm going to see the performance, uh, maybe the choir, maybe the preacher, maybe whatever. But, you know, church is a performance. But the problem is we're not the audience. God is. <laughs> God is the audience. And he's looking down on us to see how well we perform. And that doesn't mean our talent or our oration or our eloquence or our fashion. He's talking about the only thing that matters to him, that love that flows from breast to breast among his people and whether his word is proclaimed faithfully and received in the same manner. So I trust that you'll pray for me this morning. So I want to go take us back to the book of Ruth. Uh, as I told you when I started a few weeks ago that this... Uh, I wasn't really sure that this would be a series, but I'll tell you, I, I have been, I've been captivated by the book of Ruth, and I hope you are too, because the book of Ruth, it truly is the Cinderella story of the Bible, but in a better way, <laughs> because uh, it's not a fairy tale. It really happened, and there really was a young Moabite lady, a young woman, who was a member of a cursed people. If you read in the book of Deuteronomy and other places, you go back to Genesis the 19th chapter, you'll find that the Moabites were started from a sinful act, a heinously sinful act. And they were cursed because of their actions and how they treated the children of God throughout time. And, and they were shunned by the people of God. And yet Ruth, this little Moabitess woman, this little faithful uh, Gentile who was not part of the kingdom of God that was manifest at that time, we find that she's one of five women listed in the lineage of Christ. And that's something, you know, they didn't put a premium on. It was all about who your daddy was in the time of the Jews. But she's one of five, including Mary, that was listed in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about that that's sweet to me. There's something about that that's precious. And it tells me that even a Moabitess stranger to the land of promise can be blessed in the kingdom of God. And so we've talked about um, her and we've talked about Naomi and we've talked about Boaz and now we come down to chapter 3 where we're going to read about uh, an episode here that leads us up to one of the sweetest love stories that we've ever read about and will read about. But let me just say from the beginning that it didn't start out very well. I'm going to preach something to you today a little bit uh, differently maybe than with a focus than normally we would take because I've struggled with interpreting Naomi and her actions here 
And what I'm going to preach to you is what I believe, um, I believe we need to take from this lesson, which is, has to do with the history of Naomi. You've got to look back and remember, remember that Naomi was not a very faithful lady. She had left with her husband during the time of famine and had gone to the land of Moab. She had left Bethlehem, which is, uh, which is the house of bread, literally. And she'd gone into that land uh, of the Moabites and she had tarried there for at least 10 years, uh, stayed away from the kingdom of God. And when she came back, she came back with a bad attitude and a very faithless attitude. So as we begin to read here about the instruction she's going to give to Ruth, I want you to keep in mind where she is spiritually. And even though she's back and she's got a little hope now, just remember, she's not the most spiritual person that we read about in the Word of God. And I want to preach to you today, if, if I may title this sermon on short-circuiting God. Short-circuiting God. When things don't look good, we are tempted to go around God's way and do it our own way. And that's what Naomi is about to counsel Ruth to do. But in this story in chapter 3, we're going to learn that you can act in a godly fashion even when you're in an ungodly situation. So let's begin reading here in chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Now I want you to notice the plan that Naomi has. And let me back up and give you just a brief recounting of what led us to this point. Remember that, as I've said already, Naomi and her husband Elimelech went away during a famine from the kingdom of God. We've already talked about that in a previous message. We don't need to leave the kingdom of God just because there's a famine. <laughs> Maybe a famine of preaching. Maybe the preacher's not studying like he should, not feeding the flock like he should. Don't leave the kingdom of God. Maybe it's a famine of fellowship. Maybe the numbers are dwindling and things are going looking bad. Don't leave the kingdom of God. Maybe it's a famine in your own life of just, I'm so busy and I'm so tied up with the things of the world. I just, you know, I've got other things I need. Don't leave the kingdom of God just because there's a famine. Elimelech left. He died. His two sons married Moabite women. They died. And then you know the rest of the story that Naomi uh, believed the hand of God was against her. Uh, and, and I want to say to you that you can't expect the blessings of God when you're in the land of the enemy. Okay? Remember that. When you're away from the kingdom of God, when you're away from fellowship with God, don't expect God to bless you. Now, he may, he may providentially protect you. He may providentially keep you from some things. He's done that to me when I've been away from him. He did it to the prodigal son. The prodigal son could have died down there in the land where he went in this far country, but he didn't. The Lord providentially protected him, but you notice he didn't really bless him a whole lot, did he? We talked about how that Boaz stayed. Boaz endured the famine, famine, and we find that he's a mighty man of wealth. And he has fields. And, and, it, and we, we saw where Ruth and Naomi came back to Bethlehem in the time of the barley harvest. And she began to glean in Boaz's fields. And Boaz took notice of her, not because of her flashy clothing, not because of her model-like appearance, 
but because she was a sweet little hardworking laborer in the fields there in the kingdom of God. And so Boaz said, Ruth, don't you go anywhere else. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Said, don't, he said, go not to glean in another field. You stay right here where you are. And she comes back with a big load of grain that she had gleaned. You know, when you're gleaning, you don't usually have a big load of grain, but she had a big pile of grain that she brought back to her mother-in-law. And when she brought it back, she, her mother-in-law found out who Boaz was. And lo and behold, Boaz was a near kinsman to Naomi's husband. It's going to be important in a minute to remember that. He's a near kinsman. And under the law, that near kinsman had some rights to redeem and to protect and to take someone like Ruth, who was the widow of one of his kinsmen, into his fold and to marry her. So what Naomi sees now, she gets excited and she sees a way out for these two widows. And widows were not treated very well in that day. If you were a widow and you had no family, no male member of your family, about all you could expect to do was glean in the fields. So Naomi is excited and she's got a good idea. She's got a good hope here, but I want you to notice Naomi's conspiracy and what she did. And I believe based on the reading of this and the context here and the understanding of what's going on, she recommended an unrighteous path to Ruth. She recommended an unrighteous path. Notice what she says, verse three again. Wash thyself, anoint thee, Put, put thy raiment on, put some good, put a nice dress on, put some good clothes on. You go down to where he is and don't you let him know you're there until he's done eating and drinking. Now you need to understand what's happening here as well. This was the time of the barley harvest. And this was a time when people, you know, used to, you heard of barn raisings and that sort of thing that used to happen around in our communities. All the people would turn out and it would be almost a party-like atmosphere, a festival, a festive atmosphere, okay? That's kind of what happened in the time of the barley harvest. In the time when the harvest was brought in, the men would get together and they'd have a big party. And it was primarily a male-oriented thing. The women would be back home. They would be taking care of things that they took care of. And the men would go down and they would winnow the barley and they would do all these things and bring it together. And there would be a lot of eating. And yes, there'd be some drinking going on. And they'd have a big party. And sometimes, you know, it was pretty much a, a time when they would take wine and become merry at heart, which means they were getting a little tipsy, okay? And they would get, uh, uh, and it was, it was all male, so there weren't any women there, so I guess everything was okay. No, you know, nothing could really get out of hand. <laughs> but notice what Naomi says. She basically says, you wait till Boaz is good and drunk, <laughs> and then you go down there and lie at his feet and see what happens. <laughs> well, what did she think was going to happen? I'm sorry, but we live in a world where we know what's likely to happen in that situation. Now, I can almost see her counseling Ruth, and, and she's thinking he's, she's going to find Boaz at his most vulnerable time, and then she is going to take advantage of that vulnerability. You know, you remember Noah? You remember Noah? Noah got drunk after he got off the ark. And one of his uh, sons uncovered his nakedness. He went in there and saw things, did some things he shouldn't have done. There was a problem when a man, let me just remind you, men, women, all of you, not very much good happens when you get drunk. That's why the Bible teaches against 
uh, the abuse of alcohol. Look not upon the wine when it's red. Things like that. You, you're not, when your senses are dulled, and nowadays it's not just drinking. Nowadays it's drugs and other things. Things aren't, good things don't happen. Nobody ever said, man, that was just great. I passed out. I was so drunk, I passed out. I don't even know what happened. Yay. <laughs> you know, nobody does that. <laughs> Everybody's wondering and worrying. You know, what's happened when I got so uh, uh, to the point where I didn't rem don't even remember things? <laughs> See, <clears throat> Naomi knew this. I believe what she was counseling her is go down there after he's gotten a little tipsy and she's thinking to herself, he's going to make an unwise or maybe even an ungodly decision. And, and, and think about She's rationalizing this ungodly conduct. I mean, most, most bad actions begin with rationalizing the situation according to your worldly thinking. I mean, I can rationalize anything, you know? I can rationalize all kinds of things. I can rationalize not coming to church. I can rationalize, uh, uh, you know, one thing that people do often, this is something that, and, and let me just, you young folks particularly, as you go out and get jobs and you start making your living, you know, the only job I can find that's suitable to my degree is in a place that's 500 miles away from the closest Old Baptist church. But, but you know, what would the Lord expect? I mean, you know, He expects me to get out and make a living. What's, you know, I, I can rationalize that. And I know people that have moved away from a good church situation because of their job, and it ended in disaster. Mm -hmm. But I also know people that have taken a pay cut <laughs> that have not gotten quite as good a job maybe as they otherwise would have, and they stayed in a place where the kingdom of God was, where, where a little church like this one or others that we know that, that are trying to stand on the things of the Word of God and, and promote and, and, and seek fellowship with one another and worship the Lord, and they've, they, they've stayed, and they maybe haven't made as much money, but oh, they would tell you today that their blessings are greater than any monetary gain they might have gotten. We all know the situation with Sister Carly over in at Bethlehem, had an opportunity to stay over in Georgia, away from her home church, away from the kingdom of God, away, no good situation over there. But she chose to pick up, when, when Brother Aaron was killed, she chose to pick up and move closer to her church. In fact, that's what she said, I want to be near my church family. And you know that situation that just a year or so ago got married in a sweet, precious wedding over there. Amen. Lord blessed her. And I guarantee you those blessings are greater than any monetary gain she would have ever gotten staying where she was. And she'd tell you that today. But see, most bad actions begin with rationalizing the situation according to worldly thinking. And that's what she says. Now notice verse 1, she says, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? She's saying, listen, I'm looking out for you, Ruth. I'm looking out for you. This, this is really not me. This is you. And then she says, Now is Boaz of our is, is not Boaz of our kindred, verse 2, with whose maidens thou was. Look, he's your near kinsman anyway. He ought to be marrying you. <laughs> he ought to be marrying you. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to look out for you, and this man ought to do his duty. So I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you down here. 
And remember, as I said already, this is the same woman who left with her husband for Moab and then gave up on God, said, I went out full and the Lord brought me back empty. No, the Lord didn't do that. (laughs) The Lord gets blamed for a lot of things he doesn't do. I want to say to you, the Lord is in the blessing business primarily. (laughs) Yes, he brings judgment from time to time. But primarily, he's in the blessing business. And the problems we experience in life are either due, sometimes I'm sorry to say, my problems are due to my own bad decisions. You know, I've always loved this, and I share it every chance I get. That got it mounted on my wall. Uh, my sister DA found this online. Said everything happens for a reason. <laughs> Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and made a bad decision. <laughs> so, you know, I've got that on my wall, and it applies. It applies in what I do for a living, but it applies to me too. Let me tell you. So. But also, sometimes these things happen to us just because we live in a sin-cursed world. You want to blame somebody, blame Adam. <laughs> blame Adam. You know, I, I, not to get too personal, why does Ashley have diabetes? Is it because the Lord wadded up a big wad of diabetes and threw it down there into her? No, I don't believe that for a minute. I believe it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. And our genetics are cursed by sin. <clears throat> Why is this young lady having problems that's sick so bad up in, 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 in the children's hospital that we're having prayer for this morning? I believe it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. Amen. Sometimes people say, I can't tell you why things happen. Well, I can't tell you the specific reason, but I can sure tell you the general reason. Yeah. We live in a sin-cursed world. Why do the good die young? <laughs> why, do, uh, why do the bad live long lives? <laughs> We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a sin-cursed world. But she was blaming God. God did this to me. And also remember, this was the time of the judges. And and you don't have to turn there, but Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is the general mindset of society in this day. And here what Naomi's doing is what is right in her own eyes. You ever said, well, as I see it, or, oh, my heart just tells me to do thus and such. <laughs> you ever seen, you ever been guilty of saying that? I have. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's the wrong way to think. <laughs> Besides, as we always say, um, the heart is not something you need to follow. Because <laughs> Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you understand, I, I had a conversation recently with the, uh, with a, with a lawyer I met out on the campaign trail, and he was, uh, uh, he made this statement, and, and I, I understand where he's coming from, but, uh, but he asked me, found out I was a preacher, found out I was a prosecutor. Uh, he said, how do you reconcile, he said, how do you deal with that? He said, because I just think people generally are good. And, and then you see all this bad stuff. I said, the way I deal with it is, is I don't believe people are basically good. People are basically sinners. <laughs> We're born sinners. We're cursed by sin. The depravity of our hearts is so deep that even you and I have never plumbed it. You say, well, I'm not like Hitler. No, but you've got the potential. You think about the worst person you know. Say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm glad. But I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you, you could be if you let yourself go. That's why don't trust yourself. Don't trust your heart. Now, the Lord, if you're a child of God, He's given you a new heart. You can follow that, but it's going to be led by the Spirit and the Word of God. You see? And see, we don't need to do what she, what she is doing here. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it says, abstain from every appearance of evil. Don't do what she's telling her to do. Oh, Naomi. <laughs> it's the wrong way to think. But I want you to notice though, as we turn from Naomi's conspiracy, I want you to look at Ruth's compliance. Ruth's compliance. She obeyed her mother-in-law. Look at verse 5. She said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. In Titus, Paul tells the older women to teach the younger women and the younger women to listen. I believe Ruth understood this. I believe she knew that principle. And, and, and let me just point out to you too, even though this was bad advice, I believe, Ruth was being as compliant and obedient as she could be. She wasn't out partying. She wasn't out running wild. She was there where she could get that instruction. One of the things about the way we worship here, and I, I say this not to put down any other place, but to promote us, to build us up, is that, is that we don't divide up into age-segregated classes or, 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 or groups. And, and that's the purpose of that is families worshiping together where, where I'm 50 years old, but I can listen to someone who's 80 years old. I can be around that person and, and I'm 50 and maybe you're 20, but I, they can be around me and we can learn from each other and we can, you, you younger folks can listen to the older folks and be around each other and we promote that idea of family worship not being separated and segregated. You know, every time I read about being segregated by age of the Word of God, there's something bad happens. <laughs> if you remember Dinah, the sister of, uh, uh, of the daughter of Jacob, uh, ended up running out with a bunch of the other young women uh, off to themselves, and she ended up in a really bad situation that ultimately ended in murder. You see, Ruth is there where she's at home to listen to Naomi. In verse 6, it says she did all... Uh, uh, did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. That word bade in the King James English means to command. The, Greek, uh, the Hebrew word there means to command. So it wasn't just like a suggestion. Her mother-in-law had actually commanded Ruth, said, you go do this. And so Ruth is going down here being the obedient child, uh, daughter-in-law that she is. <clears throat> I've been in those situations before where where I felt compelled to go into a situation that I didn't feel like was going to turn out really well. Mm -hmm. And I was very uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. But she believed that this is what she should do. And she obeyed her mother-in-law. But in this situation, notice that she also obeyed her conscience. She also obeyed her conscience. You remember back in chapter 1, she said... Uh, uh, she said, Ruth said in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave thee, uh, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. She was learning some truths from the Word of God, and she knew that there was something maybe wrong here. What do you, what do, you do when you feel coerced into an ungodly situation where there is an actual temptation to sin that you cannot avoid? Maybe, maybe Ruth knew better. I'm speculating somewhat here. I'm not trying to add to the word. This is my speculation. Maybe she knew better. Or maybe she was just confused. You know, Naomi's from the kingdom of God. She's taught me some truth. 
I don't feel good about this. I don't think this is, I mean, what kind of counsel is this? But yet, I know I need to obey. Well, notice too, (laughs) this is another thing that I believe we can read here and understand. Naomi didn't actually tell her to commit fornication when she got down there with Boaz. But notice what she said in verse 4, the end of verse 4. He, you go, she said, you go lay down at his feet while he's drunk and asleep, and passed out maybe, just resting, whatever. You go lay down there, and then when he wakes up, he will tell thee what thou shalt do. He will tell thee what thou shalt do. Surely Ruth had been around the block enough to know what Boaz was probably going to say, or at least what most men would say when they woke up a little tipsy with uh, a, little, a little tipsy with a pretty woman laying at their feet. Now, you young ladies, don't get yourself in that position. Don't get yourself in that position. But but here Ruth felt compelled to do that, and she knew there was a there was a potential for problems. And, and maybe Naomi winked. Maybe she's like, yeah, yeah, you do what he says. And, we, you know, you know how we can do. We, we sometimes don't counsel to sin, but we just know that's what's going to happen. And we kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened. But here's the deal. Even when that happens to you, young folks, older folks for sure as well, what Ruth, she may have been confused But what she was not confused about was how she was going to act. How she was going to act. And she obeyed her God. This new God to her that she had taken as her own God. And so in verse 7 it says she went down and she uncovered his feet. Some commentators refer to this. There's an oriental custom of servants who shared the, the tent of their masters. Uh, and they, would, um, they were entitled to cover themselves with the same covering that the master used. Um, uh, that, that's one p- possible explanation uh, of what this means. Some commentators make illicit uh, implications about it, and, and, but I want you to remember something here. What I believe happened here is exactly what it says, that she uncovered his feet and she laid down at his feet. It literally means to remove the covering from the feet. And the reason I believe this is because remember, Boaz is a godly man. We've seen that already in a previous message. In chapter 2, the first thing he says, the first thing we read about Boaz in verse 4 is he goes up to his workers and says, the Lord be with you. This is a man who was used to talking about God and was interested in the things of God. He was a godly man. And notice in verse 11 of chapter 3, Boaz himself says, all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. See, Boaz and Ruth were virtuous people. They were, he was a godly man. She was a virtuous woman. And notice that whatever it means, don't, let's don't get sidetracked with what uncovering the feet means. Whatever it means, note that Ruth clearly did not act improperly from a physical standpoint. She lay at his feet and she awaited his instructions once he woke just like she had been instructed to do. And so now the moment of decision is at hand. (laughs) The time has come, because we read in verse 8, it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. He was startled. You ever jumped in your sleep? I've done that. He was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. (laughs) A woman lay at his feet. Now's the time of decision. The moment of 
doing right or doing wrong is at hand. But I want you to notice Boaz's consistency. See, Boaz wasn't jumping from here to there. He wasn't an unstable man. He was consistent in his godly walk. You see, Boaz had prepared for this moment for his whole life. He woke up, and there's the woman laying at his feet. A beautiful woman. I want to say to you, young men, older men, you got to prepare yourself for a situation like that, okay? Some night, if you're laying in your bed, and, uh, and you're there by yourself, and you jump in your sleep, and you wake up, and there's a beautiful woman laying at your feet, you got to prepare yourself for that. Because I don't know about you, when I wake up, I'm a little foggy, and I'm a little... Uh, a little, you know, not thinking quite as clearly. You better be ready and know what your decision is going to be beforehand. See, Boaz had made his decision beforehand. He was a godly man, we're told. He, he, he came out and he talked about God and he lived it. And you know, when he said to his servants in chapter 2, uh, the Lord be with you, you know what they, they didn't look at him and say, what, you know, <laughs> what are you talking about? They said, the Lord be with you. You know why? Because they knew he was a consistent, godly man. We read in chapter, um, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 that he didn't leave during the famine. He stayed. He wrote it out. And he was blessed by God. He was a, man, a mighty man of wealth. He was blessed by God. And he was a wise man, we're told in chapter 2. When he saw Ruth, he was not in, enamored of her beauty. He was not enamored of... She wasn't walking the modeling uh, uh, aisle down there with slinky dress on and, and clothes like the world would, in, in, uh, would say you need to entice a man. She was hunched over, working in the field, and he saw something in her that a lot of men wouldn't have seen. He was a wise man. In fact, he told her in verse 11, he said, It hath been fully showed me all thou hast done to thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and are come to a people which thou knewest not. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. He was more interested in the godly nature of her heart than in the physical beauty of her outward appearance. That's what Boaz, he was a wise man. You see, Boaz was consistent in his life, he was a man of principle and godliness, and he wasn't going to let a little perfume and a pretty dress influence him to break his godly walk. He decided beforehand. He had prepared for this moment his whole life, not even knowing that the moment would come. And then as we continue reading, you know, verse 9, it says, Naomi had said, do what he tells you. <laughs> I want you to notice Boaz didn't command her to do anything. All he said to her was in verse 9, Who art thou? Who art thou? You know, I wonder if he'd seen her working in the fields and she was dirty and wearing clothing that wasn't all that beautiful, work clothes. Maybe she had boots on. I don't know. Whatever she had on, hands dirty. And he thought, now, that's the kind of woman I want. Maybe he thought, you know, she's not the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, but... She's out there working in the field. Now, now it's like the fairy godmother has brought her the glass slippers and the beautiful dress, and she's laying at his feet. <laughs> and he says, who are you? You know, that's the second time he's asked that. First time he asked it was back over in, to his workers over in uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 5. He said, whose damsel is this? 
He was first enamored of her work ethic, and now he says, who art thou? And I can see him being amazed, this beautiful woman laying at his feet now. And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now let me just stop here and just say this right quick. This is a little custom too that we, we, won't, we won't spend a lot of time on. But what she's saying here is that I want you to do your part as my near kinsman. In, a, in essence, she's asking him to marry her. In essence. Uh, so I'm not saying you young ladies, you know, most of you want the man to ask, you know, I get that. And young men, don't leave it to them to ask, okay? You need to be the one to ask. Uh, you know, but it's okay sometimes, all right? <laughs> sometimes if a, if a man, see like Boaz here was of a different generation. He was older than her. So he probably never thought he would ever even, she would ever be interested in him. He doesn't command her to do anything, but he remained pure in a potentially spiritually disastrous situation. And notice that he then purposed in his heart to do right by Ruth. She said, spread thy skirt over me. You read in places, other places where God talks in Ezekiel chapter 16 of spreading his skirt over the nation of Israel in a, in a wedding, in a marriage situation. That's what she's talking about here. And in verse 10, he said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. He was amazed that she chose him. She could have had much younger men. <laughs> but Ruth wasn't interested. She'd had a younger man, okay? She'd been married to Malon, I believe it was, or Kilion, one of the, one of the two sons of, uh, uh, of Naomi and Elimelech. And he had died. She'd already, she'd seen what younger men can do. She had seen the younger men out there. She knew where her hope lay. And she'd rather have true love with Boaz than good times with all the younger men. Kind of reminds you of something, doesn't it? Sixth chapter of John, after the Lord preached that wonderful, wonderful sermon about his marvelous grace, said things like, all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And I will in no wise cast him out. He said, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me drawing, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Told him these wonderful principles of the sovereign, glorious grace of God. Many turned aside and went back. And he looked at his disciples and said, will ye also go away? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Yes. You know, in the world, you've got a lot more activities, a lot more enticements. There's a lot of things in the world, in the denominational churches in the world. And I'm not casting aspersions on them, but let me tell you, child of God, it's not the flash and the glitter and the glamour. It's what you're, it's the, the purpose of the church is to feed the flock of God. We need to feed upon that word of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Ruth didn't care about these other men. She knew where her hope lay. And notice the modesty implicit here. This is not a one-night stand. She's serious, and so is he. She's serious about marriage. There's, there's, no, there's no fornication here. <laughs> She's laying at his feet, not by his side. <laughs> notice, and notice what happens in this situation. In verse 11, now my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know 
that thou art a virtuous woman. He said, I'll do to you all that you require. You young ladies out there, you be looking for that man. You don't look for the guy that will use and abuse you and then throw you away. You look for that man that will do all that you require, who will love you like Christ loved his church. He says, I'm not some one night stand for you. I'm not some flashy young man who's going to take what he wants and kick you out. In fact, I know you're a godly woman and I'm going to treat you that way. Amen. That's the best way for you young ladies, by the way, to find a godly young man <laughs> is to be a godly young woman and vice versa. It works both ways, young men. I said, boy, I'm just not getting any dates. I'm not, that's, hey, you don't need those kind of dates. <laughs> You want the kind of date with that man or that woman that will do all that's required for you. And then Boaz proposed to fulfill his duties according to God's plan. Verse 12, It is true now that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. I want you to notice that Naomi tried to take a shortcut. She tried to short, short circuit God's way. But Boaz would have none of it. He wanted to do it God's way. It's always right to do it God's way. It's never appropriate to take a shortcut around God's plan. That applies in, the, in marriage and the relationships as well as all other kinds of things. And as we continue reading, let's finish up here reading as we go down to verse 14. She lay at his feet until the morning and she rose up before one could know another. And, and he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. He was concerned about her reputation. He said he knew the principle of abstain from every appearance of evil. And he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her and she went into the city. He gave her again more than she deserved and expected. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, said, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said unto me, Go not empty to thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. I want us to close with a few lessons from this story, okay? First of all, let me just say, if you're like me, I breathe a sigh of relief. It's like, this could really have gone a different way. Yeah. But I'm so thankful. These two godly, this godly man and this virtuous young woman, they acted right. They did the right thing. It could have ended so differently. But one of the lessons we learn from this story is first of all that godly character is tested in ungodly situations. And you are going to face ungodly situations, child of God, because we live in an ungodly world. If we could live here in the, within the walls of this church, boy, it'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> that'd be great. They really would call us a cult, wouldn't they? <laughs> boy, it'd be awesome if I could stay here in the side, in, in the walls of this. But I can't do that. You know, there there are those that have tried that. There are those who think that the the command of God is to come out and and to dwell. But the problem is, you can't get away from sin. If we lived here all the time, we'd still have problems. Our job is to take what we have here out into the world. Amen. And we're going to face ungodly situations. Another lesson we learn here, you young men, 
is that you are the leaders in many ways in the relationships. You know, we often think of it the opposite, don't we? What does the world say? Boys will be boys. And it's up to the girls to make sure things go slow and that sort of thing in a relationship. That's not what we see here. Boaz is the one who was the leader. Joseph was the same way. He could easily have taken advantage of Ruth, but he did not do that. Another lesson we take away from this is that you need to be careful who you listen to. You need to be careful who you listen to. Look at their faithfulness, their knowledge of the Word, their work in the kingdom of God, and most of all, test it by the Word of God. And also remember in the multitude of counselors is safety. And then finally, and you say, Preacher, you really hadn't preached the gospel this morning. Well, I'm fixing to preach it right here. Notice that Boaz is one of the most amazing types of our Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. And he is pictured here so beautifully. Verse 11, he said, I'll do all that thou requireth. Isn't that great? Our kinsman redeemer did all that we required. Verse 18 says, uh, Naomi says, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. You know where he is today? He sat down resting at the right hand of the Father on high. Amen. He didn't rest till he did all that we required on the cross of Calvary. <laughs> See, we don't have time, but if you go back to Leviticus 25 and you go back even to Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25 talks about the duty of a brother to redeem or to marry the widow of his brother that didn't have any children. And Leviticus 25 speaks of the kinsman redeemer who could redeem the land and the person, the land out of being, that had been sold and the person that had been sold into slavery. Boaz was a type of that. And we're going to see that in chapter 4 as we move on next time. But, but think about this as we close. Boaz is one of the greatest examples of our kinsman redeemer in the Bible. If he had acted differently, we wouldn't be talking about Boaz today. There was a song, a contemporary Christian song, several years ago that I recall. It says, what if the Bible were something to this effect? What if the Bible were still being written today? Wouldn't you like to be one of the strong characters in that Bible if it were still being written today? Boaz, a godly man who did not short-circuit God's plan. And he remains today one of the greatest types of Christ in the Old Testament. I'm so thankful for the example of Boaz and Ruth, which encourages me in so many ways, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a daily walk sense, to do what God requires and not what man thinks is appropriate. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.